0: You're listening to audio from The Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about The Village, or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. We're in John
1: 18, starting in verse 19. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, Why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. This is the word of the Lord.
0: You can have a seat, and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Uh, I started the day off with a shirt that had buttons on it, and I spilled a big cup of coffee all over my chest and everything as I was taking out trash getting ready to get in the car this morning. And so stripped it down a little bit. And so we're just going with the t-shirt today. So like a uh, concert goer wearing a band to uh, wearing a a t-shirt of the band to the band's concert. Here I am. All right. Uh, (sighs) Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your gifts. And even in this Building today, um, kids being taught, people being welcomed, uh, people serving to the gifts that you give them in a thousand ways. Uh, Just the simplicity of your people gathered together to sing to you, to pray to you, to be lifted up by one another and be encouraged and challenged and restored by your word. Would you let that happen today? Thanks for the gift of the simplicity in the way that you establish your people, your kingdom, your church, and the way that you send us um, to be your people. And so thanks for all that you have done for us, and thanks for making us into the people um, that you desire us to be. Uh, we, we love you. Um, thank you for this word that shows us your faithfulness, and it shows us a window into our own fickleness. Thanks be to God in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think about two kind of contrasting images real quick. One, I want you to think about the waves of the ocean. Say you're on a beach, it's tranquil, it's nice, uh, soothing, consistent, the waves crash in. And even if a boat or, or something cuts across them very quickly, the wave picks back up. Uh, if a storm shakes the sea in no time, the waves consistently coming back in uh, rhythmically constant and determined. I I do want to give a little sidebar here. Uh, I once sat on a beach in Michigan, and I was, you know, the kids were little and they were playing and we were with family or whatever, and I just sat there like where the waves were coming into the sand, and and I sat there for a long time, just kind of like taking it in because it's like, man, you just... You can kind of like lay your troubles down except for the risk of, you know, like injury of the kids and throwing rocks and all the things. Anyway, so you kind of just lay it down. And uh, I probably sat there for 15 minutes. And this is the honest to goodness truth. Josh Short, he's, he was there to witness. He knows what I'm about to tell you. I stood up and my shorts weighed 25 pounds. They they had just been the sand from the waves. It just filled the, uh, my, my swimming trunks, the little, like the netting so much that I could barely stand up and so much that we just had to cut, there was no getting it, just had to cut the liner out of my shorts, get in there. That's how soothing the waves are, right? (laughs) Contrast that, think of elementary school, like popcorn parachute, you know, like you throw the beach balls and the balloons and, and all the different, uh, balls or whatever and, And you have uh, a a huge parachute, and they toss and flip and pop, shoot, whatever, uh, by the force of 37-year-olds, and it's erratic, and it's unstable, and it's inconsistent, and it's just, it's maddening, and some of you are, like, getting uneasy just thinking about that, but some of you, it's like, that's sweet, right? And I get that. Um, And so, so, those are two kind of contrasting things. And today we see waves, we see the waves, and today we see a parachute from the pen of John. We see both of these things. We see the consistency of Jesus faithfully continuing the work that he has always meant to do. And in contrast to that, we see Peter inconsistent and, and fickle as he continues to deny Jesus and, and just so you know, the word fickle, it means this changing frequently, especially regarding one's loyalties, interest, or affection. Changing frequently, especially regarding one's loyalties, interest, or affection. And so we see the faithfulness of Jesus in, in contrast to the fickleness of Peter. See, Peter, he hasn't quite gone home and hidden He's not like, I'm out of here. But what's happened, what got us to this point is, is Jesus had caused disciples to follow him and, and for three plus years they've been following him and Peter has been like right there, like the seat right next to him for all kinds of stuff, all of his miracles, all of his teaching, all of those things. But what's happened this night is Judas the betrayer sold Jesus out and, and they came and they arrested Jesus for made up stuff. And when they did that, uh, Peter cut a guy's ear off and said, get your hands off of him. And Jesus was like, Peter, it's good. We're fine. And so they take Jesus into this Jewish court to see the high priest. And Peter's been hanging out. What we saw, I think it was on Easter, Peter had denied, like this. Uh, a servant of the court asked Peter, hey, like, um, don't you know him? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't know him. And, and it was nighttime and he was standing by the fire with some other people. And so that's kind of where this meets us here today, and, and what we see is, so, so Peter, he hasn't just run home, he's still around, he's still kind of like figuring out what's going on, he hasn't fled the scene after Jesus is arrested, but he will deny any association with him repeatedly, and it's like stark, it's tough to believe if you know the Peter that we've been kind of meeting in the Gospel of John and the other Gospels. So so we see the truth of faithful consistency in the lies of fickle inconsistency, uh, we see that all the time. I was talking to somebody this week about like Facebook Marketplace and just how it's just, it, I, we, were, we were wondering how society actually functions at the inability for people to just show up where they say they're going to show up, right? And some of you are like, amen. And some of you are guilty. And right now, I'm, like if you say you're showing up at someone's house to look at something, just show up and look at the thing, right? What is wrong with you? Right. But that is like a window into like, oh, my gosh, people being inconsistent in the way that they live. So we see that all the time. We see inconsistencies. But here we see some some inconsistency with the life that that Peter is living. And, and there's so much more on the line than whether or not like that crock pot is still available for eight dollars. Right. There's so much more on the line here. It's literally life and death. And and because we're talking about the Savior of the world, um, and, and we're talking about a man's response to the Savior of the world, this right here is a big deal. And here's what we see in kind of these two chunks together. The contrast between faithful and fickle is the difference between death and life. The reality is, this scene that we're going to read, and that, that we already heard Bailey read, is, is so much more than some bogus trial in ancient Jerusalem. It, we, we see these themes and the implication of the themes here. They come all the way to bear, all the way to us in this room here today. And, and the same is true. The faithfulness of one gives life and the fickleness of another brings death. So the first thing that we see is this. Faithfulness is living in light of truth consistently. Faithfulness is living in light of truth consistently. And so we'll start reading in John 18. I want to read 19 through 24. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. And when he had said these things, one of the... You have to understand this is crazy, right? When he said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. I imagine it a a back slap, but you know, I don't... And and he said this, uh, Is that how you answer the high priest? He said to Jesus... I mean, just think about this. So, so we know that we have one mediator between God and man, and his name is Jesus. Like, he is, he, is the, he is our only hope. We have one authority over all things, and one who holds all things together. And here in this moment, this, this kind of soldier trying to prove himself, or whatever, this court guy, whatever he said, He's telling Jesus like he didn't like his tone as he spoke to the high priest, and it's it's nearly comical if it weren't uh, terrible. And so Jesus answered him, "If what I said was wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me?" Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas the high priest. So remember, Annas is Caiaphas' father-in-law. Annas is no longer the high priest, and yet they keep going back to him, and Caiaphas, you know, he's got to hate that. The other thing is, I love the way Jesus interacts here. He's very clear, very direct, and, and I was reading this with Kim earlier in this week, and she's like, you like it so much because that's the way that you answer me when I talk to you. And I was like, I don't know, like, truth, can we just, like, let truth, like, preside over the hearing, Right? Uh, and no, I don't talk to my wife And use the word technically I don't do that so, um, And I love you, Kim uh, So, anyway, so that's what's going on Here's what's happening According to the dictionary There's this, this term, a kangaroo court And R.C. Sproul, he's talked about this Several times, kind of in our journey But uh, a kangaroo court Is a mock court In which the principles of law And justice are disregarded Or perverted and is characterized by irresponsible, unauthorized, or irregular status of procedures. Kangaroo courts are not concerned with the truth, but they arrive at a predetermined verdict regarding the accused. That's what we have here. And so for us to just observe a couple of things. All this happens at night. Remember, Peter is is warming. They, they started a fire by, by the the. where where Jesus is inside the building. They started a fire there to keep themselves warm because at night it gets cold. And so all this is happening at night. Court hearings don't happen at night, then or now. Like, that's not like a typical thing. And so uh, my friend in Kentucky would call this a a goat rodeo. That's what he would say is going on here, right? Um, Jewish courts, uh, they didn't put the accused on the stand. Everything that I read, and everything that I read said, Everything that we know, based on everything that we know, what they did in these court hearings were they would get eyewitnesses and they would get character witnesses from the accused and they would let them speak first. And then they would get witness testimony and account from the accusing party and they would let them speak and they wouldn't even hear the person out. So that helps us understand why Jesus is responding, why he's responding. He's basically saying this is out of order. This, you know that this is not the way that, you know, well, Jesus, what did you say? And he, and he says, ask them that, that, that have been around when I've been telling them. They know what I said because he's, he's basically saying, you know that this is bull crap. That's what he's saying. I don't know if he said exactly that, but it was similar. So Jesus is questioned about his disciples and his teaching, which is really interesting. If that was too far, I apologize. <laughs> no, really, I do. Uh, so scratch that from the record. Um, Jesus, He's questioned about his disciples and his teaching, which the really interesting thing is this is a theological questioning. It's not a political questioning. Now, like in a few minutes or, or the next day when he's questioned by Pilate, it's all about politics. It's all about, like, are you, like, saying that you're a king? Because we already have a king, and he's doing quite fine. And so it's all about the Jews in and Rome and, and how all this is playing together. And so the accusation that gets Jesus killed is, is political. But here he actually seems to be asking about his theology and his disciples, which is, I don't know, that's, that's a good place to start. So they're asking him, basically they're saying, what are you saying? What are you teaching? And what type of people are you forming? He's trying to figure out if he's causing a revolt. See, consider modern leadership and teaching and, and influence, like politicians on television or in press conferences or whatever. They don't just, I, this is no jokes, right? They don't just say things to say them, right? They really don't, right? When they declare policy, they're, they're not just saying things to say them, but but they say things to a certain crowd in hopes that it creates Movement among the people to an end. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to. They're offering persuasive speeches to get senators or or, or Congresspeople or the masses to be on board with what they're saying. And, and so, while this statement here, what are you saying? And what type of people is it making? It seems to be theological. It spills into the political. Remember, uh, one man will die for many. If you remember, we looked at this, I think it was on Good Friday. And so what, what they're trying to do is make sure that, that Jesus takes the fall to appease Rome so that the Jews can continue to have the power and the influence that they, that they have. So that's what's going on here. Um, regarding Jesus and his disciples and his doctrine, what are you saying and how is it forming people? Like, what do you believe and, and where does it lead? And, and he said lots of things, but at the end of the day, he did say that, that, that I am king and there is one and I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. He, he did say that. And and he said lots of other things, but, but that changes how his disciples live. And that doesn't mean that, that we diminish all other relationships. If Jesus is the, the one that we get to be to give our, our primary allegiance to above everything else. That, that doesn't mean that, that it diminishes all other relationships. And I mean relationships with like the government and with other people and with with, with our neighbors, with work, with fun, all those things. In, in, in fact, if we get our king right, what it does is it, it allows us to engage in all other things and all of those other relationships in the way that is most fitting and most appropriate. Because if we don't live as if Jesus is king, then we live as if, something else is king either ourselves and we're constantly dissatisfied because no one else lives as if you're a king or you put divine weight on any other thing and it will it will crush it you put it on a spouse you put it on the hope of a spouse you put it on your kids or the hope of kids you put it on your parents or 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 the hope of parents you put it on the government And the government is going to let you down? You can't put the divine weight, the highest prize, the king of all things, the one that holds all things together. You can't put that weight on any created thing. Only Christ. And when we get that right, then then we get to live in light of all those other things. The government, our work, our families, our friends, everything else gets to bear appropriate created weight, not the weight of all creation. So he says, I've spoken openly. I've always taught. I've said nothing in secret. Ask those who have heard. They know. That, remember, that's why he's saying that. But then you think about it. It's, it's not that Jesus never said anything in private. It's not that he never talked to just one of the disciples without, you know, like uh, shouting it on social media. It's not that he never, what he's saying is uh, Jesus is a man of consistency. He's, he's saying that, that he isn't a waffler. He's not going back and forth. He's not popcorn parachute. He's not chaotic and frenetic and all over the place. He speaks truth clearly and consistently. And he's saying, you guys know this. You know that I've never changed my story. That that I am who I am. Jesus is declaring that he isn't leading a conspiracy against the Jews. He's not leading a conspiracy against the Rome. Although he he is living in light of a greater truth that those in the room are not aware of. He is who he said he is. And he's saying, I've been open about my intentions to save the world from sin. Since no law of man could do that. And I've come to be the human that no human can be, for my Father's glory. That's what I've come to do. Jesus came as truth, living in light of truth, letting the that consistency shape and form all of His life. And so He says, "I've spoken openly." And they say, how dare you talk to him like that? And he says, if I was wrong, say it. And I'm pretty sure he was like, say it to my face. But again, that's, that's just me speculating, right? Um, he said, if I was wrong, like, let me know. But if not, why'd you hit me? And Annas sent him bound. And Jesus is like, oh, no, I'm in handcuffs. What am I ever going to do? It's it's comical on a level that we can't understand because no one has that type of power. I mean, you think of like me putting a tying a rope around like Superman and like you're coming with me and keep your eyes closed because we know what you're capable of, right? It's comical because but do we see Jesus get up and cut? An ear off? No. <laughs> do we see him shoot laser beams out of his eyes? We don't see that. Do we see him storm out and say, "You don't know who I am. Who do you think you are?" He doesn't. He doesn't do that. J.C. Ryle helps us understand why. It's a little bit of a lengthier quote, but it's worth reading. He says, "Jesus." is innocent, but he's not a victim. A victim has no control over the circumstances. He was led away captive and dragged before the high priest's bar, not because he could not help himself, but because he had set his whole heart on saving sinners by bearing their sins. By by being treated as a sinner, And by being punished in their stead, he was a willing prisoner that we might be set free. He was willingly arraigned and condemned that we might be absolved and declared innocent. He suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us unto God. 1 Peter 3.18. Something that Peter would later on go to write. 2 Corinthians, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that uh, through his poverty we might be made rich. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Surely if there is any doctrine of the gospel which needs to be clearly known, it is the doctrine of Christ's voluntary substitution. He took our place. He suffered and died willingly and unresistantly. because he knew that he had come to be our substitute and by substitution to purchase our salvation. Now that's rich. And there's a lot in that. But just, just so that you know. And I know like all of this stuff meets us in different places and some of you have been studying the bible for 30 or 40 or 50 years and some of you are like i don't know i just found myself in the basement a week ago and i came back today right and that's fine but but like the world confuses how we perceive our relationship with the lord and what jesus has done and and the the confusion is mostly i mean even in sitcoms and In pop culture, it's mostly about us doing good enough to earn God's favor. And if there's one word, like on a theological level, that helps us understand that that's not true at all, it is the word substitute, that he took our place. And that as as the righteous son of God, we take his place. That's what he earns for us as he goes to the cross. He dies a sinner having never sinned. He's sinless and perfect before his Father. And we, every one of us, fallen, sinful, he is our substitute. So, so what does it mean that Jesus came as truth? That he spoke truth? That he lived in light of truth? It means that, that his truth, which unlike your truth, his truth, which was actually true, his truth led to his death which is the only hope to bring us life. It means because he is faithful to live in light of truth consistently, his disciples get to walk in the way, in the truth, in the life consistently. And so that means that we get to believe truth. It means we get to speak truth. We get to proclaim what is true. We get to live truth. We get to live in light of all things true like, like waves on the beach consistently because of the faithfulness of Jesus this means as disciples of Jesus you don't have to sp- you don't have to speak lies and and you know you know that I'm not just talking to 5 year olds like we lie adults why? Subtlety. Did you do the thing? Yeah, I did the thing. You didn't do the thing. Why, why, why would you lie? Oh, I'm, I'm asking you to consider why you would lie. Peter here, he lies. And it just so happens that his lie is a denial of Jesus. No, I wasn't with him when he was. And what I want you to know is when you lie, when you feel compelled to lie, it is a denial of Jesus no matter what you're lying about. Because you think in that moment, whatever is true is not better for you, and it might not be. You might have done something terrible, and of course you don't want to be honest about that. So, so what, what Jesus' faithfulness means, though, it means you don't have to speak lies, no matter what you fear or gain. You don't have to lie. It means that you don't have to walk inconsistently, even though your yes, meaning yes, and your no, meaning no, is, is difficult. Like, uh, that's in James, let like your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. That's heavy. It means, it means walk consistently. It means don't, it means don't double book. I've double-booked. I know you've double-booked, right? We, we do that. But what it means is, is don't be fickle in your convictions. It's, it's bigger than just not double-booking. It's, it's don't be fickle in your convictions. Because Jesus is faithful, his disciples get to live in light of his faithfulness. That means that you don't have to be someone else in secret than you are in public, It means you get to be free. You you get to be free to be the same person when no one's around as you are when people are around. And, And that works both ways. Some of you might be like a better human when no one's around. But you're caught up in stuff when people are around. But most of the time we think about that like, Be consistent and and live in light of who Christ is when no one's around. And then let that show up in the way that you live when people are around. It means you don't have to be fickle. You don't have to let sin have its way in your life. And fear man more than God because Christ is faithful. Jesus, he he, he isn't tossed to and fro by change or trial or suffering or even success. He's not tossed by those things, but he is established in truth, by truth, for truth, consistently. And then we see the second thing. Fickleness is living in light of lies inconsistently. Because I don't think it's living in light of lies consistently, but I went back and forth on that. I thought, like, what would would Scott O'Donohue say? That's what I thought. I was like, uh, he probably would have went with consistently. But I think it's living in light of lies inconsistently, because sometimes Peter gets it. And he's, like, living in light of truth. And sometimes he doesn't. And and here we see him not doing that. It's lies inconsistently. So let's read on and see uh, in verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also... Are not one of his disciples, are you? Remember, there's lots of chaos. And he knows if he's like, yeah, then they could just turn on him and be like, get him. He's one of, like, that, that's the reality of it. And rather than being faithful and bold, trusting that his hands, that, that his life is in the hands of Jesus, he denied it and he said, I am not. Now, him? Never seen him. And then it gets even more specific. That's the second time. Then the third time. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off. So you're not going to believe it. He got his ear. I don't know. And, and so there's like some connection there. And So, so he, he says, did I not see you in the garden? with? I'm pretty sure you cut off my family member's ear. Like, that wasn't you? And Peter says, no. And at once a rooster crowed. See, see Peter is the guy, when, when we read through the scriptures, he's all in. He, he has jumped all in and he's made bold commitments to follow Jesus. And maybe you have too. Listen to a couple of them. In, in Matthew 26, uh, this is another interaction with, with Jesus and Peter and some of the disciples. And, and Peter answered him and he said, though they fall away, because of you, he's talking to Jesus, Peter. He says, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly, Peter, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And you know what Peter said? like, man, it seems inconsistent. I, I don't think that's true. This is what he says. He says, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all of his disciples said the same. Yeah, we're with Peter. We're not going anywhere, Jesus. It se- this seems crazy. They, was, they were so explicit. It wasn't like Jesus is like, hey, I'm going places that you don't want to go. He did that. And they're like, where are you going? But here he's like, look, you don't know what you're signing up for. And Peter's like, yes, I do. And, and look, the, though the world may deny you, Here I stand. I'm not Jesus, I'm not going anywhere. I'm 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 your ride or die. If it costs me my life, I will not deny you. And Jesus is like, okay. Thanks, Pete. John 13, in this very book that we're writing to the pen of John, we 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 read in John 13. 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will, will not crow till you have denied me three times. And Peter, just based on what we see, he's got this, I, I don't know, faithfulness or arrogance. He's saying, No, not me. They may desert you, I would never. So I just, I want us to think, just for a second, if you're reading that and you're thinking, gosh, Peter, that dude, lame. Like, I I wouldn't be so confident. I think you get to look inside and say, what would cause me to forsake the Lord? What would cause me to deny him? What, what, What offer that I might gain would cause me to forsake him, and what offer that I might lose would cause me to deny him. See, Peter Peter never looked ahead and saw himself as anything other than devoted, as anything other than faithful, as anything other than committed, as sure as, as the rising sun, as constant and true as the waves on the beach. Peter, in his own mind, he said, I'm not going anywhere. Yet we find him again, living in light of lies, not consistently with devotion, but with fickle faithfulness. He denies Jesus once, twice, three times in the hour of trial. It appears as if Jesus is on on the stand here. He's the one on trial. But what John is showing us is that Peter is on trial as well. And I think the beauty of this is, in just kind of like a, a heavy warning type of way, is, is we get to consider our own selves on trial as well. We get to look at this scene and say, who am I in this? And of course, you want to be Jesus, the guy that gets it right. But you know what? You are not Jesus. And that's not a slight to you who have been faithful. Like, I'm not slighting anybody who just, in in humble devotion, you walk with the Lord day by day. And when no one's around, and when everyone's around, you're the same, you're constant. And and you've experienced the weathering of trial and the, 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 um, the opportunity to deny and you found yourself faithful, like that is, that is great. I'm not minimizing that. But I'm also saying that, that we get to look inside of ourselves and say, where do we find ourselves? Why did Peter deny Jesus? He, he is a disciple. It seems like he is a follower of Jesus to the extent that any of us would be like, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. He, he is a disciple of Jesus and he knows Christ is the one that leads to eternal life. But Peter here, he he takes what he believes is a shortcut to eternal life by lying to avoid his own death in this life. Is that what our denial of Jesus is? Like fear of honest profession? I would be bold, but I'm afraid. That's you. I I find myself there every day of my life. I want to be bold, but I'm afraid of what that will cost me. I have a fear of just being honest in my profession that Christ is Lord, that he is my rock and my refuge, that he is my only hope, and apart from him, I have nothing. Man, I, I was standing at a soccer game yesterday in this Dude came up that I hadn't seen in 20 years, and and we just chatting. He lives out in Arizona or whatever, and so we're catching up, and and I don't know, like we're not Facebook friends. He's friends with some of my people, some people that I know, and whatever, and so I'm I don't know if he even knows what I do for a living, right? I don't, I mean, I, I have no idea, and so it's like, hey, so what? You know, what do you life? What whatever things? Kids, sports? Okay, all the things. It's like, so, so what do you do? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm an attorney. Oh, that's cool. That's great. Me too. It's just it looks different than the way that you do. I'm kidding. Um, and so, but, but I found myself, like, feeling him out to see, like, what he was thinking of me. You know? And it's not like I just had to be like, here's the deal. Like, have you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, as your Lord? And so, like, okay, that's not what I'm saying to do. But inside of me, there were things that I was, like, wrestling with, like, huh. I wonder what, and I'm just kind of like feeling him out. And, and, I, and I would like to think that I was trying to be faithful as I kind of like read the room, but maybe I wasn't. Like, and, and my life wasn't on the line, Peter's life is on the line. Jesus invites many to be his disciples in the Gospels, and and he invites every one of them to count the cost, and he gives some examples and parables. Don't be like the king that goes to war with whatever the numbers were, like you have a hundred people and you're going against an army of 10,000. Like, hey, you probably didn't think that through. Don't start to build the building and then realize you don't have the funds to see it through, and then every time people drive by or walk by and they see that and they think, what a fool. And in the same way, he says, before you follow me, count the cost. Don't walk this path only to not see it through. Know what it costs you, measure it, and, and follow me or flee. We don't follow Jesus because of an intense emotional moment without consideration. I know many lives of faithfulness that have happened for a season that have been in response to some emotional charge that it that it, it just goes away it, It's why we don't build our church gatherings or it's why none of you should build your own personal faith uh, around an emotionalistic response. Rather, we declare truth and we always put before us the invitation and the target and the gain and the cost, but our devotion to Jesus is more than the feels because the feels flee when other emotions drive. Fear. Love. Any other emotion. It's why in marriage... It has to be more than love. Your devotion to one another, it it has to be more than love because like, if you've been married for a decade, there are moments when you don't love, or maybe you do, but it just doesn't feel quite like it did on that day. So there has to be commitment underneath this. Right? And and it's why wedding vows are in the good and the bad and sickness and health and rich and, and poor... And I get to officiate a wedding in a a few weeks, and we were just talking with that couple yesterday, and just talking about vows and, and the wedding day, and you're so worried about everything and flowers and photographer and oh gosh, what if I say the wrong words and all those things? But like I said, just you you get to block all that out and sure, speak up so people can hear you, whatever. But in that moment, like do not forget that you are declaring vows to someone that, that you're committing to live the rest of your life together with them. And it's going to be easy on that day, and in days to come, it will be much less easy. And, and in our pursuit and our, our relationship with Jesus is the same. Like, count the cost. And, and we, we read in Matthew chapter 10, "...do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul." Like, this is heavy. I didn't think this was going to be this heavy. Do, uh, it must have been the coffee. <laughs> all over. Um, Do not fear those who kill the body, but, but cannot kill the soul. What? Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. <laughs> That's what he says. And you think that he might want to remind Peter of that on this night. Man, why are you afraid? These people, I read a couple weeks ago uh, a, a very notable Christian voice that I won't share because she teaches horrible stuff that I would not point you to. <clears throat> she said, uh, "She said this. She says our confidence should not be in what we can do." And I was like, "Yes, that's true." But in what Jesus? And I was like, "Yes." That is also true. And then she said, can do for us. And I was like, no! (laughs) I'm sorry, can do through us, she said. uh, Our confidence should not be in what we can do, but in what Jesus can do through us. And I was like, no, you were so close. You were so close. It's not in what Jesus can do through us, but it's in what he has done for us that's where our confidence lies. When our life's on the line and when it's not, the gospel is is news of victory. And it changes everything. And so we say of all this, so what? A a couple things. Uh, So what? Talk is cheap. We put all this stuff in, in some categories. So what? Well, talk is cheap. Like we can say whatever we want when there's no when, when there's nothing on the line, and we can say whatever we want when uh, when we are anonymously posting things online. Talk is cheap. We can talk all day long, but we are revealed when talk meets deed, and sometimes it's it's life and death on the table and I I don't think I'm being dramatic how how consistent are your words and your deeds how consistent are your desires and your words how consistent is who you think you are versus what comes out of you the second thing is, is you will fail to follow Jesus perfectly everybody just take a deep breath you will fail to follow Jesus perfectly, rest assured. But here's the thing, we don't get to delight in that. That's not a, a cop-out. That's like, eh, yeah, I messed up, but look, like Michael said, I will fail to follow Jesus perfectly. There it, there it was. No, we don't take delight in that. But but you will let Jesus down, but but he will not let you down. Not in life, not in death. Our hope isn't in this truth, but our confidence is that we are fickle and Christ is faithful. J.C. Ryle, I'll read another quote from him. He says, it is a... a He's talking about just this story of Peter in general. He says, It is a beacon mercifully set up in Scripture to prevent others making shipwreck. It shows us the danger of pride and self-confidence. Can we doubt that he rose a wiser and better man? If Peter's fall has made Christians see more clearly their own great weakness and Christ's great compassion then Peter's fall has not been recorded in vain. What that means is, although I may have said some hard words today, be lifted up. That's what that means. Be lifted up. If you're drawn to guilt, you are drawn to lies. Because if you have come to the place to where you said, I want that guy to be my lawyer, (laughs) lawyer, I want him to represent me in my day of trial, then you are free and clear. Because he's done the time. He's absorbed the wrath of God on your behalf because of sin. And you're free. And so today you might say, gosh, man, I mess up a lot. Sit in that and reflect and repent and respond and, and acknowledge that but when you come to the table, delight that you are not what you do. But God sees you as what Christ has done. The last thing is our assurance is in Christ's perfect faithfulness, not our fickle, fleeting faith. Man, the man can come on up. The contrast between faithful and fickle is the difference between death and life. And man, maybe as you reflect in the next couple minutes, think of the faithfulness of those waves and think of the fickleness of that popcorn parachute and just maybe your prayer is, Jesus, because because you're as constant as the sunrise and as those waves, I get to walk with you in the same way. What a gift. So we can respond. You can sit right where you are. Reflect, consider. You can stand up and sing with the band. You can pray with someone by that red tree over there. They would love to pray with you about whatever you have going on. You can pray by yourself over at the prayer bench. And if you are in Christ, whether you're a member of this church or, or whatever or, or not, then we open this table for you. And, and all it is, it's, it's bread and juice and what it represents is the body of Jesus represented by, by the bread that was broken for us. And the juice represents his blood that was spilled for us. And so what we get to do when we come forward and, and share this meal together is we get to remember Christ's work in us and we get to declare it to those around us. If, if you're not in Christ, that's not for you, right? We would love to pray with you, right? Would you pray with me right now? God, thank you for your goodness and your grace, your gifts, that you show up in unexpected ways and unexpected times. And, and God, we know that you restored Peter, that Peter died the death of a martyr, that all of these disciples that said, we're not going anywhere, Jesus, they fled on this night. But we also know that that when you rose, they They found you and they followed you to their own death because of your name. Would you let us be faithful, not because we're great, but because you're great. Thanks so much in Jesus' name.